family, listen, you are on the OG Network, and I'm so grateful. This is your boy, Dr. O, Apostle O. I uh, just want to talk to you this morning, um, coming off the cusp of that, of Resurrection Sunday, um, Easter weekend, and uh, while many churches were talking about the cross, as well as the fact that our Christ and Savior got uh, risen, was risen and uh, came off that cross, um, it made me to really regard uh, how many people, particularly believers and unbelievers alike, understood the reasons why Jesus died on the cross in the first place. So um, we're going to turn attention to a couple of reasons why, biblical reasons why, Jesus died on that cross. I really believe that understanding the why to a thing oftentimes brings affirmation or even confirmation to our beliefs. And so we want to address the why. Number one. All right, let's get going. Number one. Uh, he came to seek and to save sinners. I think ultimately, you know, we have to regard that his Christ, um, our Christ did not die in vain. In fact, scripture tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, I'm so glad God did not come for the elite or the popular or even the wealthy. Uh, you know, Christ made it very clear who the gospel was intended for, and that was those who are lost. And so I'm so grateful that while I was lost in my own sin, you know, Christ uh, sought me out. You know, the Bible says he came to seek. I didn't find him. He found me again. You know, all too often I've heard people say, I've probably said it myself once or twice over, you know, I found Christ. I found Jesus. Uh, the reality is that he was seeking me out. And by a series of events, no doubt, I we may have collided. Um, but ultimately, it was his love that compelled me and draw me in. And so, again, the first point being he came to seek and to save sinners. Here's the number next. Number two, he came to glorify his father. Uh-huh. On John chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. Yeah, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give him eternal life to, to who or to all whom you have given him. And this is the eternal life that they know who, I'm sorry, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Again, he came to glorify his father. What an honor it is to be able to serve and to serve well and to honor our father. And so in turn, Jesus did the same. You know, there's enormous truth packed into this short prayer that Jesus prayed before facing the cross. You know, Jesus is model um, and he models to us how we should glorify you know, God in our lives. First, he teaches us to glorify God before we face difficulties. I want you to notice as Christ prays, he says, Father, the hour has come. You know, he knew his work on earth was finishing and it was now time to face the cross. He looked to glorify God through the darkest hour of his life. Are you and I looking to glorify God even while going through hard and difficult seasons. 
Here's the second thing I notice about this when it comes to glorifying his father. He glorified the father with the time he had on the earth. You know, notice what he says in his prayer, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Can we say this about our lives? Are we focused on accomplishing what God has put us on earth for? Or are we busy, maybe so distracted or so overwhelmed that we are missing what we're really put here to do? Lastly, I want you to see this. Christ tells us how to obtain eternal life, that they may know, he says, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, I love that phrase. While, why, why did Jesus have to die? So that you and I could have eternal life through knowing God the Father through his death. Here's number three, if you're following along and taking notes. He came to cancel our record of debt, you know. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says, By canceling the record of debt and, and, uh, that stood against us with this, its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, uh, triumphing over them in him. You know, I don't know if we realize that there's a record of debt that stands against us. Do you understand that? When I ponder the record of debt I have, I think of Romans chapter 5 verse 20 where it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Remember that Jesus taught that if you look to a woman with lust, then it was as if you've committed adultery already in your heart. Christ says that if you hate someone, it's the same as committing murder in your heart. You know, the law adds to your list of sins. So you may think you're a good person because you've, you know, perhaps never done anything real bad. But if Christ showed you the sin that is in your heart and the sin you're capable of, you know, you would just, you know, I mean, how big would your record of debt really be? You know, but there is good news. Yes, there is good news. Christ took that record of debt, you know, he took that record. And I want you to see something, you know, which, you know, the grief refers to a handwritten document, like a promissory note. You know, it's like an admission of uh, a guilt saying that we are responsible for our sins. You know, Christ took that record of debt and nailed it to the cross. He canceled our debt of sin. Why did Jesus come to die? To not only forgive our sins, but to take completely take them away. You know, read John 1 verse 29 for more understanding there. All right, here's number four. He came to give power to the gospel. Uh-huh. Yes, he did. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, I love the contrast Paul makes. He draws the line in the sand and boldly says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. However, for those of us who love the cross, we love the sacrifice Christ made. To those who, of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The question being asked right now is why did Paul say to those who are perishing? You know, I always find it interesting when I'm watching TV, 
you know, and um, Hollywood perhaps makes, you know, fun of born again Christians. It happens a lot, right? The phrase born again gets thrown around and stumped into, even into the mud. But you know those precious words. Why? Because the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 1, I'm sorry, 2 verse 1, that we are dead in trespasses and sin until we become born again. We don't have the life of God or the eternal life within us. You know, in the next phrase, Paul says, but to, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does he mean those who are being saved? You know, 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, since you have been born again. And 1 Peter 1 3 says, saying that God has caused us to be born again into a living hope. We are now a new creation in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3.3. 3. The next time you hear, you know, even a TV show mocking being born again, you should pause and thank God for allowing you to be born again. <laughs> yes, it is interesting that God would take the lowest or the lowliest death of that day to display his power. Does it not echo what Isaiah 55 verse 8 says? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Knowing that God chose the cross, for it was never plan B. It was always plan A from before the world was created. Watch this. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, Belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. No wonder Paul came, was able to rather to be able to exclaim, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of, uh, uh, for the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes in Romans 1 verse 16. Why? In other words, now the question being asked, why did Jesus die? Because his death, burial and resurrection is the gospel. You got to read 1 Corinthians 15, 4 for that one. And it is the power of the gospel. Keep on reading to 1 Corinthians 1.18 and then Romans 1.16 to comprehend the power of that gospel. I want you to move on to point number five with me. You know, the reasons again, folks, if you're chiming in now, the reasons for why Jesus died on the cross. I'm up to number five if you're following along. He came to heal us from disease and sicknesses. You know, that evening they brought him to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word, with a word that is, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew 8, 16 through 17 tells us this. Do you know why sickness is in our world? Let me just tell you, it's really a simple answer. It came through sin. You know, the calamity of sin was so great that it brought sickness and death upon mankind. They are, they are that closely related. So when Jesus came to die on the cross, he not only to conquer sin, came not only to conquer sin, he came to conquer even that of sickness believers. That's why as Christians, we can pray and stand against sickness. 
Just as God can save from sin, he can save from sickness. Now, that doesn't mean Christians won't struggle against sickness. Mm -mm. No, even Christians have to fight against sickness. Why? Because we still live in a fallen world. We feel the effects of sin and sickness both. But what it does mean is that because Christ not only died for our sins, but for our sickness, we can pray for one another. The Bible says that the prayer of faith can heal the sick. Read James 5.15 for understanding. If you are suffering in your body some type of illness, ponder deeply, uh, uh, perhaps on the words of Isaiah 53 verse 4, surely he has borne all our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Let me tell you about point number six now. And we're almost there, folks. Thank you for joining us on the OG Network. Number six, he came to destroy the works of the devil and the power of death. You know, since therefore the children share a flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who fear, uh, who through fear rather of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. In other words, the author of Hebrews confirms why Jesus came to die on the cross. I want you to listen to his godly logic. Since humanity is fresh, uh, is flesh and blood, Jesus likewise partook of the same things, meaning he became flesh and blood through the virgin birth. Yes. Remember John 1, 14. And when the word came, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Yes. The result of Christ being willing to be, to be made flesh is that he could die a death at, that had the power to destroy Satan the one who had the power of death and as a result freeing us who were in slavery to Satan and had a fear of death. Now watch this. There is no need for me and you to fear death. Isn't that an audacious statement? You see in my flesh, I fear death, but in my spirit and through faith, there is no need to fear. Why? Because, catch this, Satan no longer has the power of death. In fact, Christ stripped him and robbed him of the power, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. All right? Now what happens to Christ or to Christian once he dies? We belong to the Lord. Romans chapter 14, verse 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That means whether we are on this, this side of eternity or the other side of eternity, we are the Lord's. Here's point number seven, folks. He came to take on our sin and to make us righteous. Oh, what a powerful statement that it is. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I just want you to ponder the first phrase of this verse, for our sake. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful because it is personal. You know, I'm so glad God isn't distant. He's a personal savior. For our sake, Christ allowed himself to become sin. For what purpose, you might ask? So that through Christ, you and I might become the righteousness of God. You know, remember the worst sins in your life? You know, those things that no one else except you and God know about? Yet God still chose to make you righteous. See why these scriptures are as treasure. You know, what does it mean to, in other words, be righteous? It simply means to be in a right standing, in a right standing before God. You know, remember Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and what they did, you know, they hid from God. Sin causes us believers to hide. You know, righteousness means we stand upright before a just and holy God. You and I could have never accomplish this on our own. It is only through the work of Christ on the cross. So why did Jesus come to die? To make us the righteousness of God. I think you need a moment to give God a praise right there when you contemplate that in itself. Now, watch this. Number eight, he came to bring us peace. Isaiah 53 verse five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds by his stripes, we are healed. You know, so many are not at peace with God. As a result, they are not at peace within themselves. And for many, they're not at peace with others in their lives. One of the wonderful results of Christ's death is that it brought us peace with God. Believers number nine, and I've only got two more and then we'll close here. He came to reconcile us to God. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. My God, <laughs> Christ came to die on the cross because of the hostility between humanity and God. One would like to say humanity and divinity. When Adam ate the fruit in the garden that God forbade, mankind, catch this, rebelled against God in a way that affected all of mankind. In fact, Romans chapter 5 Verse 12 explains it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Sin has always brought death and always will. This is the great calamity of sin, but God had a plan. Christ became or came to reconcile man to God through the cross. Man still today rebels against God. Man still refuses the terms of grace and the mercy God offers. It's the same pride, the same rebellion, the same sin that has plagued man for all of history. 
Yet Christ came to kill the hostility between God and man and to reconcile us to God. Here's number 10. He came to absorb the wrath of God. You know, 1 John 4.10 tells us, In this is love, that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation or mm -hmm, propitiation for our sins. Now, the Bible tells us how God has demonstrated his love towards us, again, confirming his fierce love. According to 1 John 4.10, he says, in this is love. Preston being in what? Not that we would choose to love God. We don't have the ability. Sin ruined that for us. We're simply fallen. We're broken. We're unable. We who do love God only love him because, watch this, he first loved us. Do you see how God is glorified in this? I couldn't choose to love God. He had to love me first. And how did he show his love? He sent his son. No wonder Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 15. Then the Bible gives us a remarkable word, propitiation. You know, this word has an incredible meaning. It, it, it means that Christ became our substitute to absorb the wrath of God. See, God is angry with sin. It's against his very nature. One commentator reminds us that if, if God kicked out one third of the heavenly angels for sinning, what makes us think he will look over our own sin? You see, sin is a serious offense to God. It was John Piper who who you know, wonderfully said, sin is not small because it is not against a small sovereign. It, if God is just, then he must punish sin. Now, here is the beauty of why Christ came to die on the cross. Christ, my God, make a note of this. Watch this. Christ, because the substitute, what became rather the substitute for God's wrath, God did not waive his wrath. He did not ignore it or pass over it. Christ rather took the very wrath of God on the cross and like a sponge absorbed the wrath meant for me and you. Let that thought that Christ took the anger of God over sin on our behalf wash over your heart today. So, for those who, watch this, for those you, of you rather, who fear that God is angry with you, he isn't. For those who can't pass your past, <laughs> who can't pass over your past and who dread the day you will stand before God and, 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 and you worry that one day your past sins will catch up with you, remember, Christ absorbed the wrath of God for you. He became your propitiation your substitute. God bless you, family. I'm so grateful to be able to share this word with you. Perhaps this is your Bible study moment. Perhaps you did not have a clarity of understanding in that of why Jesus died on the cross. Hopefully today you've gotten your fill.
God bless you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, share this broadcast with others. God bless you and talk to you soon.